Good morning. My name is Chuck, and I'm part of the elder team, and I'm here to let you know that next Sunday, uh, we're going to be taking a special love offering uh, for the staff here at Rolling Hills. And uh, for those of you that interact with the staff, know that they, this is a wonderful group of people who truly love the Lord and serve Him faithfully throughout the year. So what we're asking you to do is uh, to prayerfully consider whether uh, you're able to give above and beyond your normal giving. And if you can, uh, that will be an opportunity for you to, to place that into a second offering that will be taken next Sunday. And we know that for some of you, that is just not something that you're able to do. And so, uh, and, and even if you are able to do that, another opportunity to just express your thanks is to write a note of thanks uh, to the staff. So we just encourage you to, to think about that. Is there a special staff member that you'd like to acknowledge and, and uh, write a note or two to, that, to those individuals and uh, send those to them this week? So just be prepared for a second offering next Sunday for the staff. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. I wanted to invite you to my happy place. Uh, yeah, so you just got to promise me if you see a deer or an elk walk by, just let me know. But th this is with our uh, part of our Christmas uh, drama production. Uh, last chance today to see it. How many of you have already seen it? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so we... Uh, Today at 3.30 is a matinee. I think that's the last uh, showing. So if you haven't gone, you still time to do it. You can pick up uh, tickets right afterwards. And I'll see you there this afternoon. Um, we are coming to an end of the book of Genesis. And um, I don't know about you, but it just seems like a year we've been studying this. And because uh, we have. We started January uh, last year. And we've been going through the book of Genesis. And um, we've taken some breaks. Um, but we're on the last three weeks, and this is, section is on the life of Joseph, which um, is just, he's one of the few people in the Bible, and this may be a shock to you, that um, was just consistently faithful. Uh, most people in the Bible are consistently train wrecks. Uh, and, uh, but Joseph is one of the few. I mean, there's probably two in the Old Testament that I can think of, Joseph and Daniel, who are kind of um, exceptions to the rule. But um, I don't know. I was thinking about Joseph this week and thinking, you know, he just didn't have a limit. Like in your mind, when you think of, you know, following God or believing and trusting in God, is, is it kind of conditional? Is it like, okay, but if this ever happened, then I'm just like, okay, you're not the God I thought you were. You know, I, I'm, I'm with you, God, as long as I'm able to pay, pay the bills, I'm able to uh, provide for the family is at the level I really want to provide, um, as long as I have my health and able to do the things that I really enjoy doing that are life-giving to me. Um, and, and so what's your limit? Like, well, what, when you come to mind, do you have one? Because Joseph didn't. He just was so connected to that God is good and I will trust him even though my life is in the toilet. And he remained faithful to God. And he was a guy who could easily say, okay, this is enough. He had a relationship with his family who he loved um, who should be the people that you can trust most. And yet his brothers completely betrayed him and sold him off into slavery where he was taken out of his land to a foreign land. I mean, family trauma. And that really kind of shaped the rest of his life because then while he was in Egypt, he was... Um, he was a, saved, a slave and he served his, his um, person who bought him well. His name was Potiphar. And, uh, and yet he was unjustly convicted of trying to rape Potiphar's wife. And so then, in spite of his faithfulness to God, he finds himself in jail. And then while in jail, he's being faithful. So faithful that the guards in charge of the jail give him some responsibility too. And one of the things he does is he 
He's faithful to other people. He counsels them. He gives his wisdom. He has this ability to interpret dreams that are just haunting people and giving them some resolution and some understanding of what these things mean. And uh, finally, somebody who is also unjustly accused, who was the cupbearer of Pharaoh, uh, sees Joseph and just goes, man, you, you, I believe you. You shouldn't be here. When I get out, I'm going to help you get out. But he forgets him. And I'm just thinking, okay, how many of these things have to happen, Joseph? I mean, what, you're being faithful to God in spite of your circumstances being constantly terrible. And so what's going on? And here's what's going on. Genesis 39, verse 2 and verse 23 says this. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. 23, the keeper of the prison of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. When nobody else was with him, God was. And he knew it. And you think back in your life and think about some of the darkest, most difficult times in your life. And for many of you, you will say, undoubtedly, I knew God was with me. Isn't that interesting? I know some of the most difficult times in my life have been some of the most intense, um, intimate times with God that I've had. And I think that was true of Joseph. Although my life's circumstances are nothing like I want them to be, God's with me in the midst of these things. And he's just, he's just a reminder that you know, past trauma and even past failures do not have to define our story because um, God can redeem ourselves and our story. And Joseph is one of those uh, stories in the Bible, a, a real life, that we get to pull back the curtain and see what God was doing in the midst of all this. Why would you allow his slavery? Why would you allow him to be taken to a foreign land? Why would you allow him to be falsely convicted and imprisoned? And then all of a sudden we start seeing how the dots start connecting to where because he was in prison, exposed to the cupbearer, that he, he eventually got exposed to Pharaoh himself who was being tormented by dreams that nobody could interpret and help him understand. And the cupbearer said, I remember a guy. Would you be open? This, this guy, I know he's in prison, but he's not your typical prisoner. Would you be open? Because he's unusually gifted to hear from him. And Pharaoh was desperate and said yes. And so Joseph got to stand before, before Pharaoh, minister to Pharaoh in such a way that it, was just, it, just, it broke the fog open for Pharaoh to where things became clear. And he knew what he needed to do with his country and what these dreams were meaning and that there's gonna be seven years of, of bounty, of prosperity, followed by seven years of famine. And how you handle the prosperity is gonna determine if your country's gonna survive, if your people are gonna survive during this famine. And he was so impressed by Joseph and how he carried himself how respectful, um, you know, just, just what a man of integrity, he saw him, he, 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 it, he pegged it right away. And he just said, I want you to help guide our country through this next 14 years. And so Joseph did. And he ended up being the second in command. And his whole life story, all of a sudden, he started getting a glimpse of the goodness of God. And God placed me in this place at a time like this through the circumstances of my life so that I can help save a country. And not only the people of this country, but people from other countries who are coming to us and, and asking in desperation, can we buy resources that you have? And one of those peoples, those families coming to us is my own family. 
who 22 years ago, when I was 17, sold me. And now they've been in front of me and they didn't recognize me because I'm no longer 17 years old. I no longer look like somebody from Canaan, the hill country. I look like an Egyptian uh, person in authority. I recognize them, they don't recognize me. And then last week, Jack just did a great job unpacking when he reveals himself to his brothers. And um, what a sweet moment that was because Joseph's heart was ready for that moment. And we see that sweet moment. And then he says to um, his brothers, now I want you to go back home and I want you to get dad. And so kind of the, the, the overarching story of Joseph is trust God in such a way that no matter what, where you find yourself in your day, do the next right thing. Follow him. Do the next right thing. And Joseph had 22 years of doing that and seeing no results that were positive until God pulls back the curtain and said, hey, you know I've been with you, but I've also been at work for you. And let me, let me give you a glimpse. And so the, the, the point, you know, kind of from Joseph's life that I just want us to think about today is that God is at work and he is good and you can trust him. And so as you trust him, do the next right thing. Now, um, I am old enough now to look back on my life, even though there's just a ton of life ahead. But I can look back and I can see the faithfulness of God in my life, even um, through difficult times. And I, and I can, you know that song, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One? I mean, that is a um, really good mental health exercise. If the th first thing in the morning you start thinking of the goodness of God and how you've seen it in your life, it actually helps rewire um, your brain. And if you are a person that happens to see kind of the, I always look at the bad side, I always look at the downside, I'm, you know, I'm a realist, which means you're a pessimist. Um, uh, <laughs> If that's you, when you wake up in the morning, start your day by thinking about the goodness of God in your life. And thank him, name him. It, it impacts your, 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 uh, your whole being. And I can tell you that, because that's me. And about 10 years ago, I had a guy that said, yeah, this is something that would be good for you. And it allows me to see the goodness of God when I am tr attracted to, to the next problem, I can actually have time to see his goodness and not just see it and go, okay, check, that's good, but actually to rest in it and to thank him for it. Now, I look at the goodness of God in my life and the blessings of my life, and I can tell you this, um, pretty much throughout my entire life, I have felt like I am not the guy that God wants me to be as a uh, husband, as a parent, as a pastor, um, feeling very inadequate. And I would like to tell you that um, the blessings of God are due to the fact, you know, that I, I thought through things well and I made some really killer goals for my life. I mean, I thought them out and I just said, okay, what are, you know, give me the, I want the BHAGs, the big, hairy, audacious goals. And then I, I laid them out there and I put them all over the place so I could see them. And so then I, I, and then I'm a strategist. And so I love just laying out strategies that would align my life every day to that, that I had sight of line to my, my big goals. And I knew the strategies would, would get me there if I just focused on them. And then I executed flawlessly that's the, those strategies. And my execution was just pretty amazing. And I like to tell you all that, but none of that's true. None of that's true. You know what is true? I've been blessed by God because of his grace. That's it. And if I start taking credit for anything that God has allowed me to um, see him at work in life, then I am just a big liar. But God is good and he gives us glimpses even in some of the darkest times of our life. 
of his goodness. And many of you can connect to that. And that's what Joseph, I believe, throughout his life was just consistently connecting to. God's with me and God is good. And I don't know what's going on and I don't always see him at work, but he sees me and he's with me and I'll trust him. He never thought he was gonna be in a position to save his family. He never thought he was gonna be in a position of authority, but he kept doing the next right thing. God, I, I, I trust you. Even in this dark moment in Egypt, I trust you. And then God gave him the joy of being able to see some of the things that he was at work doing. So he sends his brothers home and he says, I wanna see dad. Um, in fact, I, I want you all to come back here and uh, I think we can allow you to establish a new home here and you will be able to survive the famine and we can be together again as a family. So go tell dad. And he gives him a bunch of chariots and a bunch of stuff to go home to help convince dad that the boys aren't lying. And so here's where we're gonna pick it up in chapter 46. Verse three, no, no, hold it. I need to tell you a little more story. Then we'll pick it up there. So the boys go there and they tell Jacob or Israel, same person, two names, and tell them, hey, that person we've been dealing with, with from Egypt, who has, uh, we've been buying supplies from, who's been testing us, dad, that's Joey. It's Joseph. Joseph, your son, is alive, and he's in a position of authority in Egypt. And he wants us to come, and he wants you to come with us and so you can see him. And so what in the world is going on in Jacob's head? Jacob has got to be saying, oh, you, I thought you were over your lying and deceiving years. But it's like, well, Dad, where do we get all this stuff? I mean, look at these chariots. Look at this stuff. It all has the, you know, the mark of Egyptian authority. I mean, this is true. He is alive, Dad. This is the things he said about us. This is the things he talked to us about. And as Jacob is starting to go, oh, my gosh, could this be true? He's also got to be thinking, oh, my gosh, what happened? How did he end up there? And what it doesn't tell us that really bothers me is I want to know if the boys came clean. I want to know if the boys said, uh, uh, Dad, we can kind of fill in some of the blanks for you. Remember, this is like 22 years ago. Remember, we are so much more mature today. I mean, I want to know, how did that go? But it doesn't say. It just said Jacob finally was convinced. And he said, okay, let's go. And I, I can't imagine the anticipation that, I mean, his life, since he lost Joseph, his favorite son, has been depression and whining. And he's been excusing his depression and whining, and woe is me, and I, I just don't even, you know, he, he had um, suicidal ideations. He, had, you know, he, was, uh, he was a mess because um, he was not dealing with his loss. And so he just was wallowing in misery. And now all of a sudden, he's going, are you kidding me? Joseph's alive. And so he's excited to go and meet Joseph. But before that happens, in Genesis 46, verse 3 and 4, God reminds him, I'm with you. I'm with you, Jacob. You know this and you forget it all the time but I'm with you and I'm gonna be with you here. And so this is what he says. God says to Jacob or Israel, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up out again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. I mean, two verses, three promises from God to Jacob right there. First is, it's okay for you to leave. I made a promise to your forefather Abraham 
that I am gifting you this promised land. And I'm going to make out of your family a nation that will occupy this land and will be a blessing to all nations and to all peoples. Which ultimately will be fulfilled in what? Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, through the line of Abraham, through the line of Jacob, will one day come the Messiah, the Savior of the world. God with us. We celebrate Christmas. Why did all these things happen? Not only so Joseph can protect and save his family, but so the family promised by Abraham to be a blessing to the world would be saved. And the line in which the coming Messiah would come would be protected. God with us. And so God says to Jacob, hey, uh, it's okay to leave. There'll be a day I bring you back. And not, and not only, well, so they leave and they go. They're about 70, about 70 people in this family. Um, and so they go as 70. They come back eventually as 2 million. When they eventually leave Egypt. 2 million people a nation now that is distinct, that is unified under one God and a nation. Do you know then in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah, the prophets say that this nation that has now been gathered in Israel, over two million strong, you are going to be dispersed again as your lack, because of your lack of faithfulness. And that happens from the Assyrians it happens from the Babylonians. Later on, during the time of Jesus, just after the time of Jesus in 70 AD, there was another dispersion because of the Roman Empire. There was Jewish rebellion against the Roman occupation. 70 AD, um, many Jews were scattered. And then the final scattering of the Jews from Israel was in 135 AD by the Roman Empire. Again, squashing a rebellion from the Jews. And uh, Jews were scattered all over the world. And in Jeremiah and Ezekiel say, not only is there going to be a scattering of the Jews from the land promised to you, but there will be a day where you are brought back into the land. You know when that happened? 1948. When Israel was again established as a nation for the Jewish people. Today there's 7.1 million Jews living in Israel. And that was a promise given by God 2,600 years ago and fulfilled in 1948. So promise to Jacob, it's okay to leave, I'll be with you. Second promise, I'll bring you back. Third promise, the son that you never thought you'd see again is gonna be the son that closes you out, your eyes when you pass away. He'll be with you. And that's a beautiful, that, I mean, that's Jacob's heart has gotta be soaring. Then in chapter 46, it goes on to a genealogy for several verses. And I don't know about you, but genealogies are just like, oh my gosh, so exciting. Just to read through those names, isn't it? Um, no, it's, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a torture. Um, it is not exciting for me when I read those you know, genealogies, and then all of a sudden you, you get into it and you go, oh, I found something. Um, but you know when it's exciting to read a genealogy? Is when your name is in it. I mean, how many are doing those, you know, blood tests these days, finding out about your history, and uh, you know who your um, your forefathers were, and what was going on, and where were they? And um, I do not have a proud uh, heritage um, of you know a lot of um, you know people in prison and people not doing good things, and uh, my dad changed the direction of our family. And, uh, and actually it was my God, it was God through dad. And, uh, and so as I look at my family line, there's not a lot to be proud of um, until my dad decided, I believe in God and we're gonna follow him. Without knowing how that looks, being raised and abusive and alcoholic and um, law-breaking people, and uh, 
he changed the direction. So who's Genesis being written to? Well, us. But Moses wrote it to those two million people who had just left Egypt. And now, as Moses reads these names of 70 who went to Egypt, they're going, that's my line. That name has led to me. One family can make a difference. Do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. And that's one of the reasons why that genealogy is there. Then we get through the genealogy, um, and in verse 29, then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. And so Israel here, or Joseph here, his dad's coming. The family's coming. They've taken up my offer. They're coming. I get to see my dad. I haven't seen him in 22 years. He's loved me. He's, been, he's shown nothing but love for me. And all these years, he thought I was dead. And I get to see him. He never thought that was going to happen. And so I want to show you on the map here where they're coming from. If on, on the right, you see the lines there. Uh, on the right, uh, in modern-day Israel, you see Hebron. That's probably where they're coming from. They're going to go into the green line that's underneath. They're going to go through Beersheba, and then they're going to come down into Egypt to Ramses or Goshen. It's called Goshen at the time of um, Joseph, it will eventually be called Ramses, is actually referred to later on by they came and they occupied the land of Ramses. But when they lived there, they didn't know what Ramses was, Joseph's family. You know who knew what Ramses was? The 2,000 Hebrews wandering in the desert having just left Egypt. Why did they know what Ramses was? Because as slaves, they helped build it. Ramses II was Pharaoh when Moses went to them and said, let my people go. I'm coming to you on behalf of God, the one true God, let my people go. Ramses II was in power. Ramses I started building this city and naming it after himself. And now these people are looking back, hey, 400 years ago, our, descend, our, our, our forefather, Jacob, came and set up shop here. Now on this, you see that it's green there. That's about 900 square miles in Egypt of fertile farmland from rivers overflowing their banks and depositing silt and making it very um, great for um, agriculture and for raising animals and being ranchers, that's the area that they're going to go to. If you go back to the other side, that body of water to the right, that's the Dead Sea. If you look to the left, you see Gaza. Um, that is where the Gaza Strip is today. You see the word under that Philistia, that eventually is where the people that are known as the Philistines will occupy they will occupy the section, the area, a little bit bigger than the area that today is known as the Gaza Strip. Um, the Philistines were thorn in the flesh to Israel as a nation when they finally occupied the land. And it's, it's interesting today that that same area is, is still a thorn in the flesh of Israel as Israel and Hamas um, are at war. The Hebron that you see up there on the right, where they came from, that, is, that area is known as the West Bank. Okay, so today we refer to the West Bank, that is, that is Palestinian, um, and it's, call, it's, it's called the West Bank because it's the West Bank of the Jordan River. All right, it's the east side of Israel, but it's the West Bank of the Jordan River. And that is largely occupied, that hill country is largely occupied today um, in uh, under Palestinian rule, and the farmland to the west is, uh, is Israel today. But back in the time of David, 
it was the opposite. It was the farmland was kind of the Philistines lived down there and up in the hill country was, um, was Israel. And all of this I had no intent on telling you, but there you go. Um, but the main thing is they're coming from Hebron. They're going to Goshen. Goshen is a great, um, a great area. And, uh, and that's where they're hoping to set up their new home. All right. Keep going here. 46, um, 29, second half. He presented himself to him. This is Joseph. He, sa- he sees his dad. He meets up with him for the first time in 22 years. And he falls on his neck's, neck and weeps on his neck a good while. 30, Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you're still alive. You're going, gosh, this guy is morbid. Now what he's saying there is, man, my heart is full. If I died right now, I would die with a full heart. That's, that's what he's saying. He's experiencing something he never thought he would get to experience. He's in the arms of his son who he thought is dead. They're reunited. So then Joseph goes, okay, um, brothers, gather around. You're, gonna, you're about to meet Pharaoh. And when you stand before him, let me, let me coach you up because you're gonna ask to uh, establish your home here because I've invited you. And this is something that I just don't have the power to do. You need, you need the uh, authority of Pharaoh to do it. So he coaches his brothers up. And, um, and then his brothers go before Pharaoh and say, hey, can we have your permission to live here during this famine and to bring our livestock and everything we own and live here um, under your authority for, you know, and just till the famine's over, the next two, three years, or maybe 400, because that's what it ended up being, 400 years. And so that's what they do in front of, of Pharaoh. And as I was thinking of that, in their mind, this was a temporary situation. These circumstances are not ideal. We need to be back to where God wants us. This is not where God wants us long-term. And so this is... You know, Egypt to Joseph's brothers was an inconvenient. It was, a, it, was, it was providing for them at the time, but it was not where they wanted to be. Can you relate to that? Maybe some of you are sitting here right now going, I am in Egypt. I am not where I want to be. It's paying the bills at this moment, but this is not where I, I am meant to thrive. This, is, this can't be God's best for me. And let me just caution you that, uh, you know, life is hard and we're not promised easy. But where God has you right now is probably where God wants you right now. And instead of it being, oh, this is miserable being in this situation, Maybe we need to think, I need to do the next right thing because God's at work. And I don't know what he's doing. And I'm not sure if I see him all the time, but he sees me and he knows what's going on. And I will trust him. And maybe he's right, you're right where you want to be at this time, not where you want to be, where God wants you to be because he wants to do something in you and he wants to do something through you. If you just trust him and do the next right thing. And they're, they're, that's Joseph's life, isn't it? Verse 5, 47. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Then you saw the, how green it is there, even from you know, looking from a satellite view. It's like, you know, in Egypt, where you want to live. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Now that right there is a showstopper. It's like, what in the world is Pharaoh saying? What he's saying is, um, I'm Pharaoh. I am Egyptian. I am the leader of the Egyptians. The Egyptians 
are um, the most highly elevated people among all people groups. We're better. And I'm the leader of all the better people. And we look down on every other country and every other people group. And you know who we look down on, on the most? Ranchers, shepherds. Why? Because the previous dynasty in Egypt were, were ranchers and shepherds. And they were finally overthrown by this dynasty and the pharaohs who are agrarian. And so not only do they say, we as Egyptians are best, but we as Egyptians who are agrarian are best. And we look down at other peoples and especially peoples who were ranchers. So who, who's Joseph and his family? Hebrew people who are ranchers, shepherds. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, any of your brothers like you? Because if they are, I want to put them in charge of stuff. I want them in my cabinet making decisions. That's crazy. And here's the deal. Consistently doing the next right thing makes a difference. You know, sometimes we don't think it is. Sometimes it's like only God sees what I'm doing. And sometimes that could be true. But you know what's also true? Is we live in a world that are full of people who have been created by God and been created by God in his image, even though it's marred. And so all of us have issues. All of us have lives of chaos because we think you know, the world revolves around us and that we're in charge. And then we just go through angst because um, everybody else doesn't realize it and bad things happen that we think we should be able to control, but we can't control, and then our, our life is full of angst. And so we see problems and stuff all around us. But what is also true of everybody around you, including yourself, is you still bear the image of God in you, which means even though we can be coming from different worldviews, we still recognize things that are beautiful, like taking care of the oppressed like being honest, like being a person of integrity. And here's Joseph being a person of integrity and working extremely hard for the good of others, not even his people. And Pharaoh sees it and goes, man, if I just had more people like you, if I just had more like you, hey, you got 11 brothers, any of them like you? If they are, I'm putting them in charge of something. Now let's take this home. How about you at work? What does your boss think of you? Are you such a person of integrity and work so hard for the benefit of him and the company or wherever you work that he goes, I wish I had a hundred more of you. I mean, you're a person of integrity. When you say you do something, you do it. You deliver. You're honest with me. I've never caught you stretching the truth for your benefit. You're trustworthy. I wish I had more like you. And you might be thinking right now, yeah, my boss probably wouldn't see it. He is so self-absorbed. She is so self I mean, they're, they're egomaniacs. They, they, they are just all about themselves. Joseph worked for a pagan country, a pagan leader who thought he was God. Yeah, my boss is arrogant too. No, no. Joseph's boss literally thought he was God. He was worshiped. He thought he was the sun god Ra. Okay, my boss isn't that arrogant. And yet Joseph, because he was a man of character, worked hard. People saw it. His boss saw it. And said, man, I wish I had more like you. Maybe you're the boss. Maybe you're a business owner. Maybe you're an entrepreneur. You have people working for you. Um, can you work and lead them in such a way 
that they would say, my worldview might be different than him or her, but if I don't want to ever work for someone else. And if I do, if I ever had a position where, where I, I had, we had to move, I mean, I just hope and pray that I, I would have a boss like you because you're the best boss I've ever had. Man, trust God, do the right thing. People notice integrity. People notice honesty. People notice people who care for other people. That shines as beauty in a world that we see that is messed up and in chaos. You know, this week we had a, a, sweet, a sweet morning where we, um, um, down in our lower level, Borland Free Clinic, we've been talking about this, you know, raising money for the clinic to not only remodel and make permanent walls and, and uh, uh, make a clinic that looks like a clinic, but also they're going to expand so more people can, their needs can be met. And so we had a groundbreaking, which was really a wall-breaking ceremony, um, because the money's been raised and they're, and they're taking steps to, to do this. And so we heard stories of um, just the goodness of God and, and how Borland Free Clinic uh, came into existence and, and is having such an impact and serving the underserved in our community. And it was sweet because everybody, I mean, peop, everybody who was there were not all followers of God. But everybody can see the beauty of God at work in, in, in his image bearers. And we celebrated it together. The mayor of Tualatin was here celebrating it because he's, this is good. This is a good thing. What's happening here is good. And it's sweet. And that's what Joseph was. He kept doing the next right thing. And people noticed and it impacted, impacted others. So right now, as you listen to God about where you're at in your circumstances, in your friends, in your job opportunities, and in, in how you're carrying things out, and the pressures that are on you, and maybe the problems that you're facing, what would God say, what would God say to you? say to you regarding what is the next right thing for you to do. Maybe it's a change in attitude about people you're working with. Maybe it's forgiveness, offer forgiveness. Maybe it's I need to work harder. I need to be prayed up and going to work and ready to work for the Lord and honor him and do the next right thing and working hard for my boss and caring for the people I work with. And what is it what is the next right thing for you? Last thing, now Jacob is standing before Pharaoh. Dad, standing before Pharaoh. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. You can just tell, you know, his, his negative thinking carries over into how he thinks about himself. And they have not attained the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out the, from the presence of Pharaoh. He actually blessed him at the beginning of this section and again at the end. And Jacob said, you know, um, as God, I would like to have the real God bless you. I want the real God for his blessings to be on your life because of the way you've treated us and my son and my family. Now, Jacob did not have the hallmark Christmas movie life. It, didn't, it was not a life that, oh, he knew God was with him and he lived happily ever after because nobody has the hallmark Christmas. No, um, Sorry, that's, it's, that's in my house all the time. Um, um, my wife doesn't like, you know, sci-fi because it's not real. Okay. Um, sorry, just brought you in some, into some of our discussions. Uh, but Jacob was a guy who 
had significant encounters with God that were rich and real, and he knew God was with him. And then he had seasons of his life where he um, completely forgot about God and took things into his own hands, and he was completely manipulated, and he took advantage of the people, and he, and he misled people, and, um, and then he whined and pouted. And then here at this moment, he knows, you know, there have been seasons of my life where I've forgotten God, but God has not forgotten me. There are seasons of my life where I didn't know where God was, but God knew where I was. There were seasons of my life where I thought God was not good when he is the source of good. And right now, I trust in God. And I want to ask him to bless you, Pharaoh. I mean, that's, that's a beautiful moment. But it's also a glimpse into a life that spiritual journey was like this. And you might be thinking here, uh, I connect to Jacob, not Joseph. Well, let me tell you... Um, Maybe you at one time said this. Maybe somebody you know has said this. But maybe they said, you know, I, I tried Christianity once and it just didn't work for me. And so I want to suggest something to you. I, I want to suggest that your view of God in that moment when you tried Christianity is not God. It's what you thought God was like, but that's not God. Let, let me tell you, I mean, the Bible's full of people who ignore God and then in their time of need call out to God, and you know most of those people are really frustrated because God does not respond. Because God says, I'm God, I'm not your genie in a bottle. I'm God, I'm not your pet dog that comes running whenever you call. I'm God. Proverbs 1 says this, repent at my rebuke. He's saying, hey, I will give you guidance in life. Follow it, follow it. Trust me, follow me. Then I'll pour out my thoughts to you and I will make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call, because God's talking to you. God wants you to know him. He knows you and he loves you. And he's calling to you. He says, but if you refuse to listen when I call, no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand. Then they will call to me and I will not answer. And they will look to me, but they will not find me. I refuse to listen to God. I, re I refuse to acknowledge you. But occasionally I need you to help me work out my problems. And God said, no, those are your problems. Verse 33, Proverbs 1. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. And that is talking about a deep, that's not talking about circumstances. That's talking about a, a depth of heart where you can be content no matter what your circumstances are. And you can find peace in the presence of God even when you're unjustly accused and imprisoned. That's the depth of what God's talking about here. And so what Proverbs is telling us is God does not play that game. I'm ignoring you, but I'll give you a chance to prove yourself to me if you fix this, if you do what I say, if you jump through these hoops. And God is making it very clearly. I'm God. I am not someone to be used. I'm someone to be worshipped. I love you. I'm good. Will you trust me? Will you follow me? God, for each of us, I mean, this is something Joseph knew and it was just proved over and over in his life. Um, God is not useful 
God is worthy. God is not useful, he's worthy. Jesus Christ, in the line of Jacob, eventually came to die on the cross so that we can know him by being forgiven. He didn't die on the cross to answer our prayers. He died on the cross to be our king who loves us, who we worship, and who we follow. Our need is not more religion. Our need is to get right with God. I want to give you a chance just to talk to God right now. Just bow your heads, close your eyes, and that's just to try in, the, in this room that has a bunch of people in it to um, know right now that God is with you and he hears you. And he hears you, he knows your thoughts. And if there is something that you need to um, get right with him, and maybe it's just, God, I've been living like I'm God and you're my servant, and I confess that. You are God, and I ask for your forgiveness, and I want to follow you. And maybe you're at a place today where you recognize your whole life has been one in which you have been having a religious view of God, where I do this for God, and he does this for me. When I'm good, he owes me. And that's, that's religion. That's not helpful. But helpful is knowing that there's a good God, an almighty God, a creator God who created you, who knows you and loves you and wants you to follow him. Father, I pray for each person here today that as they take steps in their life to follow you and do the next right thing, that you will honor their step of faith that you will bring blessings in their life, may it, whether it's circumstantial or it is, uh, more importantly, the depth of knowing that you are with them, that they are never alone, that you walk with them. Father, I just ask that you would uh, continue to draw people to yourself so that they can enjoy being with you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.